0: Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Good morning! Children may be dismissed for Children's Church. So glad to have each of you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, and you would turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9. We're going to walk through the majority of Romans 9 this morning as we look at the inner workings of God. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 29. Isn't it great to be reminded that it is still God who sits on the throne? It's God who's in control. It's God who's good all the time. Amen? And uh, it's great to come and worship together. It's great to come and lift up His name. And that's important. It's critical. It's what the Bible tells us that we should be doing. That's why you're here, I pray and hope. And uh, regardless of our circumstances, we can continue to turn to God. We can continue to be reminded of his goodness, that he knows all, that he sees all, that that he's in charge. And as we think of that, we come to this section in Romans chapter 9 where now Paul kind of takes... the first kind of eight chapters just go well together. And then chapter nine uh, through 11 are just a little bit different. And so we enter this section where it's a little bit more difficult and to try to process. And yet still Paul is building upon what he's already said. uh, And yet it's still a challenge and he's going to challenge us to our core of how we see God and, and this idea that he's already thrown out this idea and in and in, in, in this concept of God predestining those who he's chosen and then us as his children and us as human mankind having choice. How did how do we how do we tie those together? And and it always takes me back to those the, the times that I had in the dorm in college. So I was at Baptist Bible College and sitting in the dorm room. That Those were some of the great discussions, not necessarily in class, but in the dorm. Us guys, we would have these these deep question and answer time that really, I don't know if we got a whole lot of answers, but we just uh, talked a lot about some of these ideas and how can these things come come to be. And this is one of those areas. This is one of those challenges that maybe you sit here, and maybe you, um, maybe you you don't want to believe that God chooses. That God is a God who predestines. Maybe you you do fully believe that, but you don't you don't believe in in, in human choice. That God is sovereign and in control of all things, but He doesn't really give us choice. Let me let me. Encourage you, as we walk through these next couple weeks, um, that we're going to see these two go hand in hand. And can I explain it all? No. And so, if you're looking for me to give you great wisdom and insight, uh, there's some great teachers, great theologians, uh, great preachers who, who, when it's all said and done, uh, really struggle to give us full understanding of this text. And so you may walk away here frustrated with me, um, and that's okay. Um I, I think um so in short this is where I've landed. My God is so big that I fully cannot comprehend him. Are you okay with that? In our day and age where we live today we live in a society that says you should be able to understand. And sometimes it creeps into the church because we take Paul's word where we should get, be able to give a defense for what we believe, all right? And that's not bad. And those two don't work in opposition of each other. But I think sometimes in our Christian faith, we, we wrestle and we become un, very uncomfortable when we can't explain God. And let me just confirm for you It's okay if you cannot explain God. It's okay with that. You're saying, wait a minute. It's okay that I can't fully explain to you how God works and what his mind is and exactly what he's doing. Because God is that big. And he's not limited like you and I are limited. You know, we're limited by time, right? and I hope I'm not going to go over a lot today. I don't say that so that I can get away with a few extra minutes. But I say that because right now we're limited here and now. And the truth is, some of you in the next 10 years aren't going to be here. Why? Because you're limited by time. Some of you are like, yes, praise the Lord. Others are like, wait, what? And the truth is, we don't know Who that is. You don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. You say, well, let's start looking around and see who our seasoned people are. (laughs) We don't know. And yet, it's the things that we don't know that often bog us down. They often get us to a place where Satan exactly wants us to be. When we come to this chapter and to this time, we see the heart of Paul as he's writing to the, to the Roman believers, helping them to understand the goodness and the grace of God and yet the vastness and the bigness of who he is. And Paul does an excellent job of, of helping to lay this out. And we see his passion for his own countrymen, right? The, the Jewish people. And again, he's been talking about that all along from, from chapter 1 when, when no, nobody is without excuse. The evidence of God's attributes are before everyone. And so this idea and the concept that God is so big that people can't even come to him is not true. Every man can see the attributes of God. And yet, he has given some over. To their own desires. Which in deserving the wrath of God. Is going to be poured out upon them. And in chapter 2 he goes and he talks about the Jewish people. You're no different. You look at these Gentiles and you think they're so pagan. And yet you're doing the very things that you condemn. Because why? Chapter 3. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And he continues to build and he gets to this place now in Romans chapter 9. Coming off of Romans chapter 10 chapter 8, where he shows the, the the vastness and the bigness of God that all things would work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. It's not an individual person that all things are going to be perfectly how you want them. No, there's a perfect will of God where he is working in his people so that he would be glorified, and it is all very good. And in the midst of that... Paul shares, listen, you have been predestined by the will of God. You've been called. You've been sanctified. You have been glorified. And then he's going to expand on that. And now he starts in chapter 9. And he says, oh, my heart aches. What does his heart ache for? That my fellow brothers, the Jewish people, would grasp this gift. So if you would, would you stand with me and let's read Romans chapter 9. And we'll read through uh, verse 29 this morning. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But, quote, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, But the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. Though they were not yet born and had not done nothing and had done nothing, neither good or bad. But in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of Him who calls, she was told, The older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, and Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exhortation, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy "'on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. "'You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? "'For who can resist his will? "'But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? "'Will what is molded say to its molder, "'Why have you made me like this? "'Has the potter no right over the clay?' to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and the other for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us, whom he has called, Not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where I said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. We thank you for the truth of it, and we pray that you would help us to not only grasp the truth of what you're telling and what you've spoken to us, Lord, through your word, but, Lord, that it would penetrate our minds. It would penetrate into the deepest part of our heart and our soul so that as we walk away here, Lord, we will be changed people. Because the spirit of the living God has taken the truth of God and, Lord, put it into our hearts. And that we would claim it and embrace it and love you more because of it. We thank you for this time. May you receive the glory and honor you rightfully deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The first five verses we see here, Paul's anguish. He's desiring that his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters, that they would be saved. He lists, as Chuck Swindoll says, seven advantages of the Jewish people. We won't take time to walk through each of them, but when you start to look at at verses 4 and 5, we see these advantages uh, because God, in his uh, righteousness, in his foreknowledge, chose these people to be his own. And Paul, even in this anguish, he he goes so far, which is kind of ironic, but that he was wishing himself accursed. And it just goes to show, again, when we think about who Paul is talking about, the Messiah has already done that for them. The Messiah already suffered and, and was uh Crucified and was accursed for them and Paul and his desire. He's he's saying I would even be willing to go that far. And yet here the Messiah has already paid the price. They're just not willing to claim him as that. A bit ironic. Verses six through thirteen share that God's word has not failed. It's not failed, and we see here as a reminder. For us today, as you sit here today, to be constantly be reminded that God's word has not, nor will it ever fail you. What God has said is truth. Do you believe it? Paul sharing this, and as he talks about Israel again, Shouldn't they be the ones who experience this great salvation? This desire that he says, even in verse chapter 10, verse 1, that they each would be saved. That's his prayer for them. He's praying. He's in anguish, desiring that they would be saved. This is God's people, right? Is God's word not true then? Are these not his people? So he gives us explanation. He says, for not all, verse 6, not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are just his offspring. He goes through and he lists this example of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, verses 7 through 9. And I love it because he doesn't just leave it there. He transitions straight into uh, who we see here, Rebecca and Isaac. And if you go back and review these stories, there are some similarities. Both uh, Sarah and Rebecca are, are both barren. Uh, Sarah, we know pretty pretty well that story uh, in, in their upper age and when it took so long. Rebecca uh, was married for over 20 years. Her and Isaac get married when Isaac is 40. They don't have their children, their sons, until he's 60. So for 20 years, she's walking through this barrenness, and yet, where is the promise of God? And God is true to his word, and so God provides. And we see, uh, not only did God provide through Sarah this promise, he kept his word through this promise of a son... But he also keeps his promise to Rebekah and Isaac in verses 10 through 13. Not only so, verse 10, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born. And again, this is where Paul takes a shift. Okay, wait a minute. It, is, it, is it because all of Israel... Um, that God just chose some. And he's, he's working through this process. Helping us to understand. Well they're all children of God right? If, they're part, if they come from Abraham. They're all his children. No they're not all his children. Only those who have come through the promise. And so he shows us this example. Because he goes right into Rebecca and Isaac. And he talks about Jacob and Esau. And he says this, that, that Rebecca conceived children by one man. In verse 11, though they were not yet born, and they had done nothing either good or bad. Let me just pause there for a minute. A baby in the womb is innocent. Now, when they're born, they're born with the sinful nature. Okay? We're, we all have that condition. We all have that problem. What we see from the text here is God's choosing, and we're going to get into this more in a little bit, but see it here. It's What is going to transpire, what Paul is going to say, is not because they did anything right or wrong. Sometimes we think what has happened to us is because we must have done something wrong. Sometimes when we get mad that things take place, it's because we think we've done so much right. Here, Paul gives us a great insight to an important theology of our life that Jesus also covered, right? When you think about the man who was born blind, why was he born blind? It must have been his parents who sinned, the Pharisees said, right? No, it was neither him nor his parents that did anything wrong. It was ultimately so that God would be glorified. We must be careful in our theology as we look about our works. We must be careful not to allow the health and wealth gospel to infiltrate our understanding of what the truth is telling us. Here, Rebecca and Isaac had two boys. They had twins and Paul is helping us to see that even before they were born, before they, they, they did good or bad, there's something that took place. Why? In order that God's purpose of election might continue. God electing. God choosing. It's not because of the works, but because of him who calls. And so she was told... Before they were even born, verse 12, because Rebecca goes to God in her barrenness, asking God to provide a child, to provide a son. And when she goes to inquire of God, God says to her, I will give you twins, but know that the younger will serve the older. Which is not what culture was used to it's not the way things should be and yet here we see verse 12 she was told the older will serve the younger and verse 13 as it is written Jacob I loved and Esau I hated now I would encourage you I'm not going to get into this but it's important for you to look at this term hate all right do some research do some study on that all right God is not controlled by his emotions. Aren't you thankful for that? Are you emotional? We are often run by our emotions. If somebody cuts you off in traffic, that's a good example. All right? One example. This isn't fair. Right? This isn't fair. How could God choose Jacob... And yet, look down upon Esau. We see God is true to his word, and through Isaac came the promise. Not all were going to be the children of Abraham, but those who were chosen were going to be children of the promise. It's not because of their works. But because of him who does the calling. Then we get to verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Is God not fair? Again, it's it's answering the questions that we often have today that God would elect somebody and not elect somebody else. Does that mean God's not fair? Well, Paul walks us through this. He says, is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. When we think of this, it all depends upon God, does it not? Think about salvation. If you add any part to salvation where there is a requirement on our behalf, then it's not fully of God. It's the same idea of election. And this idea and this thought that it's not fair that God would choose some and he would not choose others. Why would he choose them and not them? From our perspective and our limitations, we cannot see the fullness and the bigness of God's plans always. And yet, as we walk through this, Paul continues to remind his readers, and he reminds us today, that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. The God who provided salvation for the world is the same God who, who chose Israel to follow him. Thus, it is critical and important for us to know and understand the Old Testament. Paul continues to take us back, and he's going to continue to take his readers back to the Old Testament. Why? Because a lot of them would have understood the Old Testament. And he's trying to help them to see that this God, that it doesn't seem fair or right, that he would choose some and not choose others, is the God who bestows upon any person mercy, any person grace. He has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Verse 18. This is part that I struggle with because God is so big. And again, are you okay with that? Maybe some days you are and some days you aren't. Verse 19. You will say to me then. Remember, Paul has been talking this whole, lot, whole time, this, this line of thought, this, this writing as he goes through Romans. He, he has this other person in mind that's asking these questions, right? Here he goes again, and, and he, he's done it already twice in this passage, and he's doing it again. And he's like, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're going to say. Here it is. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? Paul, how can God find fault with anybody if he's the one who chooses some people and he chooses, doesn't choose other people? How is anybody guilty before God if he's the one who's doing all the choosing? Have you ever asked that question? I know there are some of you who we've been praying for years and you wrestle with this idea of predestination and election because you have loved ones who you care desperately for and you're praying that they would come to know Jesus. And oftentimes we wrestle with this idea. How could God not choose my son, my daughter, my parents, those who I love so much? Paul is saying that he is in full anguish over his brothers, desiring that they would be saved. So you are no different than where Paul is. This wrestling, this idea of, of the predestination of a God who sees and knows all, and yet is he really good? And how can he find fault with somebody he didn't choose? Notice Paul's reply here. Are you ready for it? The bad part is we already read. That's the good part, I guess. But here's his response. Verse 20. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Does Paul answer the question? He doesn't answer it. uh, The first time I was reading this text, uh, you're ready and you're like, okay, I'm going to get the answer. This isn't fair. Well, how could God choose some and he doesn't choose others? And you're ready waiting for Paul to answer this question. And he says, I'm not going to give you the answer. In fact, he takes us to where our perspective should be. He helps us to see where we are and who we are. And he helps us to try to grasp hold of this concept that there is a God who is much greater than us. And so he throws out this, who are you? And he says this, oh man, to answer back to God. It's not an answer that we like. It's not a reply that we like. We want want justification for why God would do what he does. Paul essentially is telling us here, he's not going to give it to you sometimes. Consider who you are. And he walks us through, again, another Old Testament analogy Found in Isaiah where he takes us through and gives us uh, an illustration so that our minds can understand. And he says this. Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay? Let me just pause there for a minute. When you think about your life. Do you have a proper perspective to look at God and say, God, you are the potter and I'm the clay. In all of our entitlements today, and all of our rights, we really struggle with this, do we not? You struggle with it. I know you do, because I struggle with it. And we want answers, and we demand answers, and we demand for justice, right? This isn't out of a heart of of selfishness a lot of times. This is out of a heart of, God, I want to see what your purpose is. And yet the response is one that takes us back to say, you need to keep a proper perspective of who you are and who God is. And yet it's not something that our society will give us. This is not a reply that you're going to hear probably outside of the word of God. This is not a reply or response that you're going to hear from the rest of the world for as long as you live. Why? Because Satan is roaming this earth seeking those whom he may destroy. And he will twist and lie to you because he wants to deceive you. Just as he deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. And just as he deceived many others who we read about. And who we see even today. The God of the universe is the creator. The God of the universe is the one who made you and put you here. I remember the first time driving out west. I've only been out there once, but... Uh, we drove with Lisa's grandmother, and we loaded up uh, baby Marissa. She was just a little baby, and Lene was like three, uh, three and a half, and, and we went with her grandmother out west, and we were so excited. It was the first time I was ever ever going to be able to see some of those sights, and I remember like it was yesterday. I was driving in um, and, and this big old cargo van, and we're going along, and And we saw a lot of neat different things. But there's a point when you get to, and I don't remember exactly where it was, if it was in Montana or Washington, but I remember it was like you were driving around this corner and you came around. And all of a sudden, there before you was this majesty of mountains. And it was so huge. And I I went to school in the Pocono Mountains, but it wasn't quite the same. All right, it's not quite the same and you just kind of cl- climb up those on route 80 and you just don't even notice them as much. But out west it was like this this splendor of the bigness of these mountains and you could see the plains that led up and the snow that was on the top and for that brief moment my mind went to this idea I I am so small. I'm so little in comparison to what I'm seeing. Those of you who have flown, you probably have gotten this idea too, where you're looking and the seeing the bigness and the vastness of what you're, you're hovering over, right? It's interesting to read about the astronauts who, who go out into space and to be able, their, their perspective as they look back upon the earth. It, it, it's hard for us sometimes we get so so focused and so uh, our mind just is so intent on where we are and these rights and these privileges we lose sight of the bigness and the vastness of life pauls reminding his readers his hearers and for us today listen god he is the one who created it all do you remember that And do you remember who you are? You're something that God has fashioned. And so you're going to tell the God who fashioned you what you should be and what you should do, what he should do? He continues here. And he's going to build upon where he was and what ultimately he was talking with Jacob and Esau. These two different vessels, okay? Verse 21, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Does he not have that right? We would answer and reply, yes, he has that right. He's the potter. This is the clay. Then he goes on. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Let me pause there for a moment. God desiring to display his character. We get that. But notice part of the character that Paul mentions here that we'll often, will miss. He has endured with much patience vessels of wrath. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me that God is patient. And he, as Paul writes in one of his other epistles, he is desiring that, all would come to know Him. He's patient with all people. Not just with those who He have chosen. No, it says here that He is desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power. And while life is happening, He's displaying for us His patience with those vessels that He knew beforehand and that He chose beforehand would be Vessels of his wrath. Why does he do that? Verse 23, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. If you sit here today as a child of God, claiming Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are vessels of mercy. God's mercy has been poured upon you. Do you thank him and praise him for that? Oh my goodness, are you guys alive? Did I put you to sleep already? You are vessels of mercy. That's us. Paul's writing this. And God wants to do what? He wants to make known to us his riches of his glory for us. That's why he's patiently, but will send his wrath And destruction upon these vessels made for wrath. Chosen for wrath. Why? So that we can see the display of his character. So that we as vessels of mercy may give him praise and give him thanks. And see that we are chosen for something different. That God prepared beforehand Verse 24, even us whom he called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Continuing to build upon this idea, it's not just the Jewish people who have the promises of God. No, salvation has been extended, not to the Jew, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. And here's us, and he's going to walk through this this idea and this concept of two different vessels again. And he's going to help us to see uh, through Hosea and Isaiah this idea and concept of, of how God dealt with Judah and how God dealt with Israel. Israel abandoned God and they, did, and, and, and they suffered destruction. They just suffered his wrath. And Judah, Judah chose to follow God. They had a king who pursued God. And so he shares with us Verse 24, even us whom he called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in in this very place where it was said to them, you are not my people. How could he say that to his Jewish people? He did. Read the book of Hosea. There they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. Going back to where he started in this chapter. Not everybody who who is born of the flesh is adopted as a son, as a child. No, it's only a remnant that's going to be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. Verse 28, be reminded it's full, and he's not delaying. Sometimes it feels like that, right? No, God is true to his word, and he has a purpose, and he has a plan, and his sentence upon this earth will be full and complete, and it will happen in his perfect timing. As Isaiah predicted, verse 29, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring... We would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What happened to them? They ended up being destroyed. And so Paul is reminding those who are Jews, the Jewish people, those who have chosen God not all of your kingsmen are saved, but God has kept a remnant. That's the beauty of walking through the texts of the whole Bible. You continually see God and His love and His mercy extending through a remnant. Sometimes that remnant is large, sometimes it's just a few chosen people. That He extends the forgiveness and the grace and His love, His salvation that He gives to mankind. you have to come back next week because today we're talking about a lot and we're focused a lot about the the predestination and the election of God and i don't want you to miss out because next week we're going to talk about choice and, and where do we where does that come into play with how we follow God what's our own responsibility but, as we look at this, I want to give you three things that we 've walked through. The first is verses six through thirteen. We say ultimately, the predestination. What is, what is the purpose of God in predestining others? Let me give you three things. For the first is this: predestination displays the perfect choices of God. God the sovereign. God chooses. Do you believe that his choice is always right? Predestination challenges us to help us to see, do I believe that the perfect God, the sovereign God of the universe, makes perfect choices? Now remember, we're limited. You're limited by time, space. You can't be everywhere. You don't know all things, nor do you have all power. Predestination challenges us to this belief. Do I believe in the sovereign God who has perfect choice? We have to wrestle with that. The second part of predestination that we've walked through is verses 14 through 18. Ultimately, predestine, predestination it displays the perfect character of God we get to see his character let me go back for one moment when we think about the perfect choices of God those who have, are guilty do they have any rights those who are guilty and deserving of punishment and eternal damnation do they have any rights no You understand that that's where you were you didn't have any rights you couldn't go to god and bargain with him some people try to do that you can't bargain with god and yet god chose you to display his mercy not because you had a bunch of rights or that you did everything right or wrong god chose you because he is perfect and his choices are always perfect Which then builds upon this second concept that predestination displays the perfect character of God. Meaning, God is outside of time, he's outside of emotion, and yet we see his character of mercy, of patience. Third, finally, predestination displays the perfect calling of God the Sovereign. God owes no one grace. Think about that for a moment. You and I aren't owed grace. But what has he extended to you today? How does this increase your faith? How does this help you walk today, and tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. Because as followers of Christ, we have a God who always makes the perfect choice. No matter what we think. No matter how we think it should be. And so if you're introduced to a suffering that you don't think is fair... Understand that that's God's choice upon your life. God chose that because he wants to also display his character. He wants you to see something that you would not have seen if it weren't for walking through this. See, this comes not only to election, but this goes to every area of our life. And we think that we can control life. We think that we, we, can, we can do it all. And Romans chapter 9 helps remind us that there is a God so big and so awesome that when there are times that just don't make sense, and in fact, even when there's times that do make sense, I can trust him because he always makes the right choice. And if he chose me for this, then he wants to display his character because he is the one who called me what are we called children of god there's a great hymn i just want to read to you the first verse and then we're going to sing in response immortal invisible god only wise if you just stop there and chew on those words there's a lot there in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Our plans are not his plans. Our ways are not his ways. And yet there's times where he does give us a little glimpse, just like he did with Moses, when Moses said, I, I need to see that you're with me. I need to see that you're in this. And God said, you can't see my face but I'll let you see the back end of my glory. I'll show you a little bit of my glory. And Moses walked out of there shining where he had to wear a veil when he wasn't talking to the people about God. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days. We're here for just a speck of time. God has been is, and forever will be. Almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. This is our God. And this is who we get to follow. This is who we owe our lives to. Trust him, even when it doesn't make sense. Why? Because is God worthy of his word? Paul says, yes, even when it doesn't make sense and even when it doesn't seem fair, of course, because he's God. Lord, thank you for the way you love us. I thank you for your patience with the world, with those around us, and even with us, your children. We're so fragile sometimes in our faith walk. And there are times in our life where we really wrestle with understanding and trying to comprehend what you're doing. And Lord, you are so merciful. You're so gracious to us. We're not deserving of that. Just like Elijah was sent into the wilderness. He, he ran away. He was living in despair. And yet you didn't condemn him there. You ministered to him. And you reminded him of who you are and that you had a plan for him. Maybe there's some sitting here this morning that, that need to be reminded that you love them and that you're there to minister to them even as they may not make sense of what's going on in their life. Even though it may be hard for us to see your sovereignty and why you choose and why you have predestined some to love you and follow you and others to turn their backs, to run away from you, to claim you as the enemy. Lord, you have bestowed upon us and you've displayed for us mercy. And may that motivate us at the root and the heart of our faith. May we be excited and challenged. May we be determined that our life would display a faith and trust in you outside of ourselves because you are God. Because you are worthy of every area of our life to receive the glory and the honor and the praise. Help us to live that way. In Jesus' name we pray.